Welcome to the Business Presenting Podcast, where we talk through the art and the science of business presenting with Tim Calkins. Tim's a professor at Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management, and he wrote a book about business presenting called How to Wash a Chicken a few months back. On this podcast, we're unpacking some of the key themes from that book. I'm Abe Lubetkin, and Tim, last time we talked about building the story. Today, we're talking about putting together pages. Well, that's exactly right. And this is a really distinct step in the process. You know, one of the ways people get in trouble when they're creating a presentation is they jump right to this stage because people love this stage. This is when you start writing down headlines and filling out pages and you get a real sense of progress. The thing to remember, though, is you can only start working on the pages. You can only get to this stage once the story is really clear. You know, you want to make sure you know exactly how this is going to flow. And once that story is really tight, when you have a storyboard or when you have it somehow laid out, only then are you ready to get to this stage, which is when we really get to putting pen to paper and putting down our presentation and bringing it to life. In the process of bringing that story to life, you say one of the logical first steps is to start with the headlines. So you always begin with the headlines because the headline is really the most important part of of the page. And writing a good headline is so important to end up with a powerful presentation when you're done. Now, it's tempting to confuse a headline with a title, like a chart title. But these are very different things. When you're writing a headline, you want to state what is the point on the page? What's the message you're trying to get across on the page? The chart title, that's just what is this information we're looking at? These are two very different things. This chart title says, here's what we have for information. The headline says, here's the point of all of this. So for example, sales by region, that's not a good headline because that doesn't really say anything. That just tells us what we're looking at. That's a chart title. The headline would be, well, the West region is really important for our business. Now that's a headline. So as you start writing your pages, you begin by working on these headlines. Now, you'll probably have a sense of the headline because in the first part of the process, you were working on the story. And so you have a sense about what that page is about already. But here you've got to go back to say, okay, what exactly is the point on this page? You want to write it out. In most cases, it's going to be a sentence. You want a subject and a verb. And you want to say, what is the point of this page? You know, we launched the new product in you know, May of 2018, we invested in the new factory expansion in June, whatever the key point is. And you write that out as a sentence. You always want them to be just two lines. They should be pretty tight, pretty focused. But you start with that. What's the real point on this page? And you go a step further in your book and the guidance that you provide around making sure that those headlines have a certain clarity to them when it comes to the way they're constructed and when it comes to the way each of the sentences themselves is constructed? Well, there's a couple things with the headlines to keep in mind. You you want one headline to flow to the next headline to flow to the next headline. So as you write them, you like to build in transition words. So you say, the new product got off to a great start on one page. Then maybe the next page is, however, our momentum has slowed down. And now through these transition words, we're connecting the points and we're beginning to build the story step by step by step. So transition words can really help us as we go along. The other thing you want to keep in mind as you're writing these headlines is you really want to use parallel structure, which is to say if you know one headline is a full sentence, you want the next headline to be a full sentence. That way it gives it a sense of tightness and 
conciseness and it just makes the presentation work really well. So make sure however you're building your headlines, you know, if one headline has a subject, well, then the next headline should have a subject as well. That way, it's just going to make this presentation really tight and it'll make it really easy for your audience to follow along. One of the ways that people, I think, at times try to avoid putting individual names or groups on particular slides or affixing certain names or groups to particular actions is through the use of passive voice. And you have some clear thoughts on that. Be very careful of the passive voice and avoid it at all costs. So it's so tempting to write in the passive voice. Now, it's first important to think about what is the what is the passive voice? What do we mean by that? You know, I remember back when I was in grade school, my teacher would write on my papers all the time, you know, passive. And I, and I never was quite sure what that was. So it, when you have a passive sentence, what's happening is uh, that the, the subject of the sentence is the object of the action. So in other words, instead of saying, we launched a new product, that's an active sentence. A passive would be that a new product was launched. And so the object has become the subject. Right. And, and in that case, the problem with passive is you lose all the ownership in the sentence. So a new product was launched. Well, then who launched it? I, I mean, you haven't said the sentence. There's no indication of who actually did that. You know, prices were increased. Well, who, the, who did that? Was that the retailer did that? Was that the distributor did that? I mean, who did that? So passive, A, it makes your presentation sort of flat, but it also sort of avoids ownership of the ideas and the concepts. You really like to write in an active fashion. We launched the new product. We invested in advertising. We changed the pricing. You know, our competitor responded in the market. Whatever it is, be clear who's doing what the action. You know, only use passive when you really don't know what happened. You know, when you say the somebody, you know, the car was hit, well, you don't know who hit the car, perhaps. And, and in that case, well, then I guess passive would be okay. In general, though, you want to avoid the passive and make sure all your headlines are these active, robust sentences. If you have good headlines, the presentation is going to work well. One way to check your presentation is just to go back and read just the headlines. And if you read just the headlines, the little headline at the top of the page, if you read just those, you should get the story and you should get the message of the presentation. Staying on this theme of clarity for another moment, we've talked over the course of this podcast about how a presentation is an opportunity inside of a company not only to convey information, but also to make an impression. And sometimes in the course of doing that, people are tempted to insert big words into their presentations. That, it sounds like, has a tendency to backfire. Well, it does. So as you write headlines and construct pages, it, again, is very tempting to start putting in big words. Because when we use big words, we think people are going to think that we're smart. And, and somehow we've always, in our lives, I think we have this belief that smart people use big words. And we write complicated sentences. The, the data, though, tells us uh, otherwise. And, and what's interesting is there's been some of these studies have been done where people have looked at what's the impact of using big words and 
you know, what happens when we do that? So one set of studies was done. I really like these studies. This was done by a Princeton researcher, Daniel Oppenheimer. And what he did was he did a whole series of studies where he would take a, a piece of writing and he would insert big words. So what he would do is he'd go through and wherever there was a, a word, they would he would use the more complicated uh, alternative from the thesaurus. And he would go through and he'd pick up either the most complicated word or the second most complicated word. And then he went the other way and he simplified uh, the text. And what he was looking for is what was the impact of the big words. And what he found was really striking uh, was when there were smaller, shorter, simpler words, people found the passages to be more compelling. But even more interesting, they thought the author was more intelligent. And it's just the reverse of what we would think. You know, you think when you're using big words and jargon and these phrases that everybody's impressed with your great use of, of vocabulary. But the reality is it's completely the opposite. The simpler the words, the simpler your construction of your headlines and of these pages, the more likely it is that people are going to approve your recommendation and they're going to think highly of you. Why do you think that is? I, I think, and the theory, and Oppenheimer gets into this a little bit in some of his work, the theory is that when we use big words, people think we're trying uh, too hard and we are overcompensating perhaps. And it is the, when you use small words, there's two things. One is there's clarity of thought in small words that I think comes across. There's also confidence in small words. You know, if you use simple, small words, well, you're confident in the writing. You're saying my ideas are, are, are clear enough. I don't need to obscure my ideas with words that people might not understand. I can just lay out the concept here for you, and it's very simple, and you're going to follow it, and I know that. And so I'm not going to overcomplicate this. In a way, that's a hallmark of a great presentation. It's simple. It's easy to follow. It's compelling. In a way, it's confident. And you always want to remember that as you're building the pages, because your goal is to make nice, simple pages that people nod in their head and they follow along. You want to avoid complexity really as much as possible. So once you have a foundation of clarity laid out in the form of headlines and in the form of some idea about what you want to say on the remainder of each of those slides, how do you advise people wrestle with this question of how much information to put on a page? Well, I think you always go back to the page and you say, what's the point we're making on the page and what information do I need to put here to support that headline? So uh, if I am saying that, you know, uh, the West is our most important region, if that's my headline, well, then logically, I would need some data on the page to show that fact. And, and so when you think about putting information on a page, you really start with a headline and you say, what's the data that I have to support that? Now, sometimes that will be a series of bullet points. So you might have three or four points. You know, you might say, uh, you know, uh, the best time to launch the product is in the spring. And here's four reasons why, four bullet points laid out there. Sometimes you'll want to show a chart or a graph. And depending on the point you are making, you'll need different information to support that point. But if there's data and it's not related to the headline and it's not somehow significant to the point you're making, you really want to get rid of that data and you want to take it off the page and you want to simplify it as much as you can. Loading up a page with a lot of information that isn't relevant to the headline is one of the ways a presentation gets to be really clunky and heavy and hard to follow. That perception that the more data 
I've put in my presentation, the stronger it's going to be. It sounds like that's one that doesn't often hold. Well, it's exactly right. You know, people think if I tell you 20 things, that's going to be much more compelling than if I tell you just a few things. But but again, the data tells us that's, uh, you know, that's just not, not the case. So Eli Lilly did a fascinating study at one point, the big pharmaceutical company. And they did a study, and, and what they looked at was side effects. So as you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a pharmaceutical ad, in a drug ad, you know, they tell you the benefits, you know, this drug will make you, you know, live forever. And then they tell you all the side effects. But you know what, it might, you know, kill you tomorrow. So they, and they list off all these side effects. And that's the way drug ads are sort of constructed. There's the positives and then the side effects. But Eli Lilly was interested in what happens when you tell people more side effects versus fewer side effects. You know, but how do you use the time that you have? You want people to remember the most important side effects. So how many do you tell them? So what they did was they developed uh, pieces of advertising and they would do the same piece of advertising, but in one version of it, they would say just a few side effects, you know, three. And then the next one, they would give more side effects, seven. And then they might increase it even further to like 12 side effects or something like that, a whole list of side effects. What they found, though, was very interesting. As they told people more side effects, what happened was that, you know, even though they told them many more side effects, what happened was people remembered fewer. And the number of side effects people recalled afterwards fell precipitously. But what did happen is that the number of people who couldn't remember anything went up. So in a presentation, you want people to remember your points. You want them to remember your argument. And if that's the case, you don't want to tell them 20 things. You don't want to show them 20 pieces of information. You want to show them the two or three pieces of information. Those are the ones that are going to, that's the approach that's going to have the biggest impact. And also, that's what they're going to remember. Carrying that concept forward into data and data visualizations. Nowadays, there are so many different ways that people both obtain data and visualize it for the purposes of presentation. What do you advise people keep in mind when they think about how to display data on a page in a presentation? Well, one of the amazing things now is what we can do when it comes to displaying and working with data. We can do incredible analyses, but then we can also really take sets of data and bring them to life. And we can have charts that are active and they move and they develop and they change colors and we can do just incredible things when it comes to data visualization. But my advice is to be very careful with how you approach the data and data visualization pieces. Now, the wrong way to do it is to start your presentation development by thinking about data visualization. You know, that's always a problem because you want to start with the recommendation and the story. What's the overall story we're telling here? If you start with data visualization, you'll get caught up in that visualization and you'll love it because it's so impressive and you're going to want to put it in the presentation whether it fits or not. So you don't want to start there. You want to start with the story. Now, once you have the story, then you get to pages where, you know, some data visualization might actually enhance the argument, might actually make your presentation either easier to understand or more credible. There, you really do like to think about data visualization, and there are times to do that. I would just be selective and careful with how you do it. If every page is this elaborate visualization thing, you can overwhelm your audience. You can make it very tough to get through that presentation. 
on occasion, I would selectively do it. On occasion, it can really enhance it. Just don't overplay that. Don't do it too much and use it really where you need to, to make a particularly complicated point. Similarly, when it comes to animations in presentations, uh, some strategic decision-making sounds like it's, it's warranted as well, you advise. Well, one of the questions you wrestle with, which is, you know, how many animations should we put into a, into a presentation? You know, how many different graphics and funny visuals should we put in there? And I would be quite selective with how you do that. Uh, you know, in, in particular, I would think about three things. Number one, I would go back to think about uh, the person you're presenting to and think about what they do and what they tend to like. So if they're a person and in their presentations, they use a lot of animations and a lot of graphics and things like that, well, they presumably like that. And so I'm going to do a little more. If I'm presenting to, to somebody, on the other hand, who never uses that stuff, well, I might take that as a cue that they're not so keen on that and I'm going to do less and I'm going to let myself be guided by my audience. You know, remember, it's a marketing task. And so I always want to think about what do they prefer? What do they want to see? Uh, the other thing I would think about uh, is is the topic. Some topics are light and funny topics. And, you know, a lot of animations, a lot of fun visuals work fine for that. Other topics, it just doesn't work very well. So, for example, if we're talking about planning the spring picnic, well, sure, let's toss in some visuals of some balloons and maybe some flowers. I don't know. Something like that would be great. On the other hand, if we're talking about laying off uh, half the sales force, you know, I'm not going to run a lot of, you know, funny visuals or lighthearted things. It just doesn't fit with the tonality. The third thing I'd think about is your own personal brand. If you are known as a person or want to build a brand that is a serious numbers oriented individual, again, you're going to want to make sure your presentation comes across with that style. It's going to be a little bit more of a serious presentation, more focused on the analytics, the numbers. On the other hand, if you want your brand to be more about creativity, humor, fun, well, of course, then you're going to build a different kind of presentation. In general, though, you don't want to overdo it when it comes to the animations, the visual effects. Uh, you know, you don't want it to look like a circus. These are business presentations at the end of the day. So I would usually be cautious, but then I'd think about those three things when you're really pushing it to say, how many are we really going to add in here? Let's go to a question that we've gotten from a listener who asks for your guidance on putting together a presentation and building out the slides when you're doing it as a group. Groups are really tough when it comes to building uh, presentations. Now, on the one hand, you really need a team involvement. I mean, most cases in business, you're working with a group of people, you want to get them on board, you want it to be a collective output. You know, when you're working on a team, on a, on a product or on a project, it's rarely your solo effort. It's a collective effort and a team effort. And so you really want to involve people in the development process. On the other hand, when you write a presentation as a group, it can really be a mess. And one of the worst ways to write a presentation is the way that so many people seem to approach it. And they say, let's just divide this up and you each take a section. So, so okay, so Abe, you take the first section. I'll take the third section. You know, Susan, you take the the, the, the fourth section there. Uh, who's got the second section? I don't know. Peter, you've got that one. And, and, you know, that's a tempting way to do it, but it just usually ends up as a real mess. 
Because the problem is each section is then written a little bit differently. The pages are constructed differently. The narrative flows differently. It looks very disjointed, very unorganized. What I recommend doing if you have a group working on a presentation is you work on the story together and you really try to figure out step by step. You know, back when you're developing the storyboard, it's great to get everybody in the room and to get everybody involved in creating the story and all of that. When you get to the next step, though, uh, you can ask people to provide certain pieces of data, but you want one person to really own construction of the slides themselves. If one person is responsible for doing the first draft, then they're going to be able to lay it out a lot more clearly and there will be more of a single voice coming across. Now, once you have the draft, then it's fair game to say, okay, what are we missing in the draft? Does it work? Does it not work? And then you revise it and you make sure it works as you go through it. But I think it's really important to make sure there's one person who's primarily the author of it. Otherwise, you end up with a mess. So once you get to this point in the process where you're building out the pages themselves, do you ever find that you have to work backwards and make an adjustment to the core story? Well, that happens all the time. Uh, you know, because when you're laying out the story, you're sort of saying, okay, here's this page is going to prove this point. The next page is going to prove this point, And it's all going to be great. When you actually build the pages, what happens on many occasions is you find out the page doesn't really work. No, for example, you might not have any data to support the point that you want to support. There may not be the information that you thought was uh, present. And in that case, it may send you back and you're like, wait a second, we've got to take a step back. Let's go back to the story and make sure that story is really working because this step in the story doesn't seem to be holding. And when you have to go back, you go back and you say, okay, well now let's look at the story in total and let's think about it again. Let's rework it. You know, remember Jim Kelts does this 50 or 60 times. We got to go back and rework the story. Then you come back to putting together those pages. You pick up where you left off. You adjust the pages, you keep going. But it really is an iterative process at this stage of the game, trying to make sure that each page really works one flows to the next. You know, one other thing to keep in mind as you're going through building the pages is that you really want to make sure that you keep the complicated, hard-to-follow analyses in the middle of the presentation. So, you know, remember the, 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 the altitude principle. If you're going to have bumpiness, if you're going to have challenges, you know, you want to have that in the middle of the presentation. It's just like that airplane flight. You don't like a lot of turbulence when you're taking off. You don't like a lot of turbulence when you're landing. It's in the middle that you can deal with bumpiness. So as you're laying out the pages, keep that in mind too, and make sure that your most complicated controversial stuff is right in the middle of that presentation, not right at the front when it's going to throw people off and not right at the end when you're trying to wrap it up and bring it to a nice conclusion. Well, coming up on the next episode, we're going to unpack a lot more of these themes, including, Tim, a deeper dive on keys to presenting data. That's exactly right. We're going to talk in the next one, what's good data, what isn't such good data, and how do you make sure that your presentation is really tight when you present it? In the meantime, if people want to write in with a question, which we encourage them to do, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, you can visit my website at timcawkins.com, or you can visit the book's website at howtowashachicken.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Timothy Hawkins.